0: Everybody, let's welcome to the stage tonight's guest moderator, Julian Alexander from Slang Inc., and Greg Burke.
1: Thank you everyone for coming out. <laughs> Tonight we get to speak with Greg Burke, who is a mentor of mine, a very good friend of mine, and also a very accomplished art director and creative director. He, um, some of you know this already, but for those that don't, Greg is, has been an art director at Tommy Boy Records, Island Records, Electra Records, and is now the creative director of Atlantic Records. And, um, you know, so he's a veteran designer, and I, you know, with that, we can, you know, I'd like you to tell us a little bit about <clears throat> your career path and, and why you chose
0: to set out as a designer for music. Well, when I started, pretty much it started from looking at reggae packages. And being Jamaican, looking at reggae packages, I never thought that they got to the just deserve art-wise. So I decided, you know, I'm gonna be in this field, I'm gonna do this, and I'm gonna make my family proud, because we're Jamaican, I was gonna show these great packages that I was gonna do for reggae packaging. Um, I came to find out sometimes that, you know, people don't want great packaging, they want <laughs> what they have. But it brought, me, <laughs> it brought me into the door, and it opened an exposure of like, doing album packaging in general. Once I got in there and started seeing like, you know, you don't want to be pigeonholed into doing just reggae. There's a world of music and it's as far as design, you never want to be pigeonholed it's like, oh, I only do for this. I started to explore doing every kind of music packaging. And that opened a vast world of possibilities and meeting people who are creative and just having a great hub of things to learn from.
1: You started at labels that are much smaller than where you are now. Um, and presumably, you had a lot less resources as it related to budgets and um, budgets, access, resources. But you made it work. And I think you've been br- producing the same quality of work throughout your career. How does
0: budget affect what you're able to do as a creative? I mean, I think in the beginning, not having a lot of money and having a lot of a big budget it makes you more creative because everyone is really conscious about money. And that being said, you really focus on what your creative brief is. When you meet an artist, you have a definite idea of what you want to do. And you explain it, you get it out there, people sign off on it, and you do it. When there's a bigger budget, you have a lot more leeway to kind of play and say, well, if this doesn't work out, we can try this or that. With a small budget, you don't get to do that. And getting that kind of training means that when you do get a big budget, you still have that mentality where you're really, really focused on what you want to do. Now if that idea doesn't get chosen, you still have a little bit of money to play, but you know that you're first foot forward with that idea that you really want to do, you're going to really push that. And you're going to try to make it as appealing to everybody that has to sign off on it. And you're doing that still knowing that, okay, I have a big budget, but think with a little budget in mind because you still want to get it out there. And the budget aspect of it it, it, it plays two parts. A lot of money makes, makes you go, ah, oh, well, we have a lot of money, we can do this, we can do that. And you're all over the place with it. And it does help when you bring in like, photographers, illustrators, and anybody you have to. But that initial idea, money shouldn't be the aspect that brings you to design. You should go in there thinking, I'm going to do the best of what, what I want to do and get this idea across. And having if you only have a dollar, you're going to make it work with that dollar. And I think that's helped me in my career now that like when me or anyone within my staff and crew are doing stuff, we're always thinking budget, but we're not thinking budget to hinder the art, but thinking budget in terms of like, what can we truly accomplish and how can we accomplish it.
1: It also kind of forces you to get involved and roll your sleeves up and participate more in, in many ways because you, you have to do things yourself you might otherwise hire people to do,
0: or commission people to do? I mean, in the beginning of my career, I thought I had to do everything myself, you know? And then I I learned as I was going on that, you know, if you can't illustrate this, there are people who can. As long as you can convey the idea what you want or sketch it out or get references, then you can bring them on. But in the beginning, I really did believe everything that was going in your package, you had to do yourself.
1: Right. So now we'll Jump into some of the packages you've done. Um, as you mentioned, your, your body of work is not limited to genre. It's not limited to male or female. I think the projects we're going to talk about tonight are all male artists. But I just want to be clear on the okay. fact that everything is different. There's a range. Okay. And we're going to start with um, Jet. Um, Get Born? That's um, the album
0: title? The, yeah, the first one was Get Born, yeah.
1: Okay, so tell us about how you... Set out on that project. What your objective
0: was? (laughs) My my objective for Jet Get Born, you know, like for each record label I've been to, we've had a president, and when you go to the president, you kind of have to get an approval once again because it comes back to budget. When you're conveying an idea that you want to do, someone has to sign off and say yes because we're going to spend this money. They're going to say yes. With the Jet Get Born, you know, I I had a creative brief. The band signed off on it. They were happy. They loved where we were going. But I had to get the money signed off with our president. I had a meeting in her office. Uh, you know I started to go into like, what I was going to do. She started to get a little bit bored with the conversation. And the end result of my creative brief with my president was me just going as Dann a little kiss, I'm going to do some cool shit." <laughs> and she said, "That's it, baby. <laughs> you go." And <laughs> that's how the jet got born got signed off. So
1: but- the cool shit that you did was was really a combination of photography illustration and and doing something that really wasn 't out there at that time not at least not that i 'm aware of the, it,
0: the, it, the thing is okay, incorporating everything like. I got a great photographer, Phil Knott, shot the band, and I thought Phil's energy and everything that he did when I first was introduced to Phil's work was ideal for this band. They were like a raw, lot of energy, like true to being back to what rock was really about. All of Phil's work exemplified that, like his, his black and white imagery was just gritty and hardcore, but it had so much feeling to it. The illustration aspect of it, I had an illustrator named June Kim. I can't remember if June had just graduated or if she was still in school. College. But maybe, yeah, in college. And, you know, I found June. She had a website and there was a little bird on it with this illustration. And that was the driving force to let me know that this girl can do this illustration. And when I reached out to June and I, I told her what I wanted, you know, she started to do all of these doodles and everything. She supplied me with layers and layers of little doodles, and then I chopped them up and made it into a bigger illustration. Then, you know, with Phil's photography, sometimes you don't want to mess with someone's imagery, but Phil was comfortable with this. Like, I was Xeroxing his images to just degrade the image more and more and more and integrate it with the illustration. And the end result, I think, worked out well. At the end of it, like, you know, we put it, we wanted to have this kind of lo-fi quality to it. We wanted to have an arts and crafts Hands-on feeling to it, and I think, you know, the band was about that. It really, truly represented their music at the time, and I think it, it was a successful joint venture of everybody involved.
1: I think part of what makes an art director successful is the ability to pair people together who can work well together. And and you mentioned the fact that you know you you used Phil's photography with the intention of combining, degrading the images and, and things like that. And I think it's, it's good, it's cool that you were able to have that discussion, make sure that he was cool with it so that everyone could feel good about the end result of the piece. But something that really impresses me as well is the fact that you identified the talent of a college student. And, and I think talent is only a piece of getting job, a job done, but you were able to find someone who was not only talented enough, but able to deliver. Did you have apprehension about using someone that was so new?
0: No. When, like I said, when I looked at June's website, and it was that illustration of the little bird, and you know, there was other work that led up to it, and there were some watercolor images as well. That bird illustration, which I, I wish I had to show, but that bird illustration told me she had the technique to do what I was trying to do. She, she definitely could execute the job. and. It, I think a lot of things happens when you're really passionate about a project, and then you reach out to other people about this project, and they feed off of your passion for it. They get passionate about it, and I think when June was doing it, she was pretty, she was very well vested and really passionate about it as well. So we had a nice dialogue going back and forth. I mean, the the only thing that you may sacrifice and be nervous about going to someone who's you know like in the beginning of the stages of their career is that deadlines. You know, people will falter because deadlines are vague and a gray area for them. But I think that's where you, as a designer, art director, you're going to have to kind of be the one instrumenting and pushing forward for that. But I think as far as the talent, the talent is always out there, be it college students, seasoned people, like it's, it's there. It's just like you're going to have to nurture that and you're going to take a leap of faith and trust as well and make that deadline.
1: All right. And Jet's second album. Shine On, you took a totally different approach. Is that the result of you wanting to do something different? Is it a result of the change in the the music they were producing? How did you, why are those packages so different?
0: The packages are different and I guess I have to start this way, the second album, the Shine On album, initially my concept was I wanted to shoot a white horse that was laying down because it's a very rare thing for a horse to lay down and that was going to be the image. But it was going to be this really ethereal, lightly shot, beautiful image. Um, I pitched this idea to the band. Actually, I had someone shoot it because he would, there's a photographer named Heinrich Havelson and he shot it for me just on a whim, didn't charge me anything, and he shot just a demo of it. And it wasn't 100% what I wanted, but it was enough to convey the idea. But the band was at a point in their career where they're like, nah, we are balls out big rock. We are, we are the killer rock band right now. And that wasn't the image they wanted. They didn't want something soft. They came up with the image of, they wanted to use, at least one, one of the guys in the band wanted to use this uh, sculpture of a bull's head called the Riten Bull that was like in a museum in Egypt that we couldn't get clearance to. And we went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth on a lot of ideas, but everything kept getting scrapped because the band couldn't lock onto any specific idea. And anything I gave them, they weren't locking onto. The one thing that was a positive, I got Max Verducal to shoot the band. When I showed them his work, they were like, yeah, we love Max. And Max was slightly intimidating for me because I'm like, this is a seasoned photographer. I'm like, I, I was like, I'm not going to be able to control this guy. He's just far beyond my level. Max is a professional. He was great when we shot them. When, when we had all the, all the images and everything in hand, the deadline was coming. We were running out of time. So this image, the cover of Get Born, which is not Get Born, Shine, but on. Shine on, which is this black and image of the whole group, was me sitting down saying, well, if this is where they are, and their first album was this whole just kind of white tapestry. Let me just push it and push it beyond what it is. And I kept pushing this, this image blacker and blacker and blacker, all the while reaching out to Max Verducco as well, because I didn't want to bastardize his image without him knowing. And he was comfortable with it. It, it was a printing nightmare. What you see on screen, it's, you know, it's not a true representation, because when I did this, My mindset also thought about the paper samples that we were gonna print on, like it was about the uncoated paper that was gonna absorb some of the ink so the image would get softer. And once they saw it, where I did like a dummy of it on the uncoated paper, everyone signed off. They're like, this is our cover. This represents who we are. The cover itself has no typography on it. There was a sticker placed on the the package that says their name in the, the album song. But I did do an initial logo where it was done out of powder and kind of blown to the side unfortunately there were drug references and that got shot down it was a beautiful image but it had a drug reference to it and they were like no we can't go out like that so we just wrapped any kind of type on it and just left it as this beautiful black and white dark image and that's the point in their career where they were at and it's a nice album
1: so that really is the story of you working with a, a. a group who was new in their career, and you kind of working with them through their first two albums. Ti, you've worked on <laughs> five. You've worked on five Ti albums: yeah. Urban Legend, uh, King, King Ti vs. Tip, uh, Paper Trail, and No Mercy. Right. Yeah, yeah. So you you've been with him for quite a while throughout his career. Quite. And a while. Um, Paper Trail, King, and Paper Trail are my favorite two Ti packages. <laughs> and Paper Trail also influenced some of the work that I've done, which we've, you know, spoken about in the past with the Eminem cover yeah. that I worked on, Relapse, um, because it was, such a, it was something that was so visible and, and highly um, held in such high regard. How was the process of making Paper
0: Trail? How did you get that idea pushed through? Paper Trail came at a time when T.I. was going to jail, and he was going to be going to jail for quite some time. And, you know, like everyone at the label, they were more focused on that than his album packaging. So no one was, it's one of those beautiful scenarios where everything goes under the radar. No one's paying attention to the art. So you get to have kind of a lot of creative freedom. (laughs) You know, my meeting with TI was all of maybe five minutes in the back of a car as they were about to drive out to, I think, JFK or LaGuardia. And I was like, hey, we need to talk about this. He said, you know, like, just something out of paper. And I was like, okay, cool. That's that's all I needed, (laughs) you know. Now, the thing is, there was a, I I, I don't want to call him an illustrator design, Ian Wright, is a guy that I knew of and he's an amazing artist. That's what I'll call him, he's an artist. And I knew of the stuff that Ian Wright did. But before I get into that, the image that's on the screen right now is a composite, just a kind of bitmap threshold thing. And I have to describe this for people who aren't here, who can't see it, a bitmap threshold thing of just like me putting a lot of pieces of paper and everything to get the idea across as to what I was gonna do. I showed this to T.I., he said, yeah, cool. I'm still to this day not sure if he thought this was his actual cover. I showed it to the president of our company. She was like, all right, if this is what T.I. wants, cool, but it looks like the King album. So that led me to believe that she thought this was the cover, and everybody signed off on it, and we were done. But I wasn't done. I, I had other things that I was about to do with it, and that's when you know I am like, okay, I have my budget. I know Ian Wright. I'm going to move into Ian Wright. I reached out to Ian Wright, and this is how the T.I. Paper Trail album began. So Ian Wright, basically what he does is he'll take a lot of symmetrical things. You know, he may take buttons or he may take little cubes of paper. He'll take everything symmetrical and he'll build up these portraits. And I knew that he's exceptional at doing all of that. Like he's the master at doing all of that. And I walked into Ian and I said, okay, I know that you can do this, but I'm trying to push you way out of the scope of what you do. I'm talking about making a portrait out of random bits and pieces of paper. And at first it seemed that he got it, and he's like, yeah, 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 this seems like a challenge, and I'm really, really into the idea of it. But as we started the process, Ian, Ian is great, but at times, like when we were doing it, other people would come down to his gallery, and they'd say, ah, oh, that's too aggressive for T.I., you know, he's a good-looking guy, you shouldn't do that. So Ian would change what he was doing, and it actually... What he started to submit to me was just like the first thing that was on the screen, which was a bitmap, because he started running it through the... And I was like, Ian, that's not what I want. So I go to his studio and I start to rip up little pieces of paper and put it on, on his table. I'm like, this is what I want. He's like, oh, okay. So Ian started collecting paper from the trash everywhere, just getting all sorts of stuff. And about a month's worth of work, me always going in, it came to be uh, the paper trail cover that everyone knows. And the thing about the Paper Trail cover and a lot of the stuff that I like to do, I, I like it to be hand-done and tangible. I, I like that feeling because like, I, I know it's such a digital age, and I think when this album came out, a lot of people thought that, oh, you know, they just did it in some Photoshop program or some digital program. No, this is a piece of art that sits in a gallery right now. This is a physical thing that you can go and touch and move little pieces of paper. And like I said, like Ian Wright, he did an amazing job of this with me and, you know, one of my favorite packages as well. How
1: how large is the original piece?
0: Uh, I think the original piece now is maybe three feet by three feet. So it's not huge. No, no, it's not massive because the other thing is, like we have to, when I spoke to Ian, like you have to take scale into consideration because we're about to do a CD cover and it's going to come down to about a four inch square. If you go too huge with something like this and it reduces down, all detail gets lost. If you try to do it too small, there's absolutely no way Ian could work. So we have to think of like what is going to be an appropriate size that this will translate to a four inch square and still retain all detail. And photographing it is also another aspect that you have to take in consideration as well.
1: On the inside of the package, you really made it more about photography as opposed to, you gave the cover room to breathe, like the, the inside is very clean of that package was that
0: yeah that that was intentional like like you said like i've, I've been with ti for ti's career for quite some time and you know i do respect ti and i really like him as a person uh, take all artists outside music i like him as a person and ti was going away for quite some time and i felt this is one of those times that this is going to be a fan piece and he was you know he was preoccupied so like he, he left it up to me. And I thought, you know, he has a lot of true hardcore following fans. And this is going to be one of those times that you're not going to see T.I. for quite some time. Let's give everybody a glimpse of T.I.'s life. And I got a photographer named Darren Ankerman. And I, I love Darren Ankerman's stuff. Like, when I first was introduced to Darren Ankerman, like, all of the images that Darren has on his website were pretty much really small waif model girls. And, you know, to pitch that kind of photographer to say this is who I'm gonna shoot, one of our number one rap artists, everyone will look at you sideways and go, are you out of your mind? Like, this doesn't relate. These are a bunch of little girls and like, you know. But, and this may sound weird, when I looked at T.I., Tia's a very good looking guy and I thought like, he's gonna photograph well. Darren's an amazing photographer and it's not about like what he's shooting, it's about his technique. He loves to shoot and TI trusted me enough to say, well, if this is what you want, go ahead. And I got Darren. We didn't have TI like a traditional shoot where we have you for like a full day and we get a studio and we do all this. We had him for brief moments, like one day we might have had him for an hour and a half, two hours, and we shadowed him around the Lower East Side. And, you know, within the package, we have pictures of TI eating a slice of pizza. That's not an image that you get nowadays for any artist, because you don't get those intimate moments. So... We shadowed him there and then we did a traditional, maybe for like two hours the next day, had him in the studio and then walked around a little bit more. But the whole premise of this was like, I just want to show everybody like a different side of TI, the side like when he goes away, you're not going to have for a while. And the thing about this package that made it really hard, especially with the photography, is I have thousands of these images. And my first impression was, I'm going to chuck all of these images into this package, so I'm going to do these little squares. And you know, like everyone's gonna see every image that I have, but that didn't do justice to the image. So I had to sit down and really edit. I'm like, okay, these may not be the best image, but this actually exemplifies who T.I. is. This really feels like who, so it came out to, like, I just wanted to give a booklet with like these big, beautiful images that really represented Darren's work as well, because like Darren's work was beautiful of T.I. So, it was a conscious decision not to do the little images even though as, as much as I wanted to at least do one page of it I was like no I'm going to give them these big images and I know some of the images repeat and I was like nah because there's a split second of a moment the emotion changes I'm going to show that as well and that's, that's where this package came from that's, that's, this, was, this was a long labor of like someone that you respected you really felt for you know, and I understood the story of where he was going when he was going away and I thought For all of his true fans who really know him and feel for him, this is going to be a piece to say, you know, thank you. And that's what this was.
1: Another very iconic and recognizable package that you worked on was Jay-Z's Blueprint 3 album. You didn't have the same relationship and rapport going into this with Jay-Z because it was the first time he had been well established and was, you know, is one of the largest artists by the time you began your working relationship with him. Um, How is that different than working with someone who you're comfortable with, who is relying on you heavily? Um, And and also, I would say, I would argue, I don't know Jay-Z, but I know that Jay-Z, I think he really appreciates artwork. And his last, the package before the Blueprint 3 was designed by Stefan Sagmeister. So... I would imagine it was a little intimidating for you, coming in after such a well-known designer, and then you know working on that project and really knocking it out. But how how was that approach different for you?
0: Um, it, the approach was okay. At first, you know, like there's an intimidation level that it wasn't that I was intimidated about. Like, oh, this is the Jay Z album. Like he was in retirement; he's coming out. This is the highly anticipated album. Everybody at my job would point that out to me, but that wasn't um, the thing that was in the forefront of my mind. I, I sat in a meeting with Jay-Z and our president, Julie Greenwall. And you know, there are projects where we have artists that Julie will bring me into the meeting, and she'll say, hey, you know, I want you to meet Greg. This is our creative director. He runs the art department. And we go into this whole thing. And in those conversations, at times, you pick up on things where it's like, oh, am I doing this project? Or are you just saying, okay, you introduce me and then you know, one of our other art directors will handle it. This one was a clear, no, you're doing this. And then Jay-Z went into you know, telling me what this album meant to him, what it was all about for him. And he kept bringing back, like, it's about instruments coming back to the days gone. And it's really about like, music for the sake of music. And it, that's, he just kept focusing on the instruments and the, that stuff. And I walked out of there, I was like, okay, cool. And I went back to the art studio, and everybody's like, yo, Jay Z, yo, Jay. And I'm like, yeah. And, you know, I now have to come up with pitches. But I walked out of there, I heard everything he said, but all of a sudden, like, I go into my own mindset, I'm like, I started to think, well, what am I gonna do for this? And I I think I did maybe four creative briefs, all of them shot down. And because I went into my mindset, I was like, I was gonna, go in a helicopter and shoot the city and make the whole city white, and then it's going to spell out... Like, all kinds of things. He's like, yo, we did the city before. I've been down that road. And then I was like, yo... I sat back and I was like, wait, all he kept talking about was the instruments. So then I regrouped, and there were aspects of the initial creative briefs that I did that he did like. So I sat back and I was like, wait, it's all about instruments. Let's just focus on the instruments. And then I repitched, and the little storyboard that you see on there with the Tommy, Thomas Sachs uh, stereo stuff, is basically what I re-pitched to Jay-Z. And that's when he said, yeah, that's it. He's gonna sign off. This is good. Now, this was enough of a visual to get him to sign off and say, yeah, go ahead, do your thing. The pressure being that Jay-Z is very good friends with our president, so if your thing isn't good, <laughs> you may get fired. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, was, I was happy that he signed off because now it became an issue of like, how do I do it? And this is the good thing about, like I said, when we were at Tommy Boy and we had like a little bit, little budget, most people would think, oh, it's Jay-Z and you're going to get this exceptional budget. You're going to be, you, the sky's the limit. No, it's a record label. The budgets are the budgets. They are not big no matter who the artist is. So, you know, now we're going to build instruments, buy instruments, paint them white. Yeah. Now, I flew out to London. This sketch that's on the wall is a sketch that I did in a diner as I'm sitting, trying to get a mindset as to what I'm gonna do as I'm waiting for my son to get out of Japanese school. And this is the sketch that I'm taking to London to show to the photographer, this is what I'm gonna achieve. And from that, this is what we achieved. You know, Now, the sketch you saw, my initial thing, it, it's weird because I didn't send back, from London I didn't send back any images to the company, I didn't talk to anybody at the company, and now you're panicking because you have one day to do all of this. So what happened is before I get out to London, they've already started buying instruments, they've started painting instruments, now you get there and the instruments are there, they're being painted while I'm there as well. And we still have to figure out how to prop all of this stuff up. We have a set designer. She's working diligently. It is a massive puzzle because the shapes don't fit together. And all the while, we know we want it to be this this installation. We go through it. We build it up. We decide what we were going to do is just take... Oh, I'm sorry. The photographer is Dan Tobin Smith, and this is where he excels. This is the kind of stuff that Dan does every day, and he's great at it. I knew of Dan's work for quite some time, and I thought, you know, he's the ideal candidate to do this. The idea didn't come from Dan, but I knew that Dan was the right person to do it. There's another photographer, I I space on his name, at Art Department, who was a secondary choice. But Dan, I thought, you know, I've been a fan of his work for some time. This is going to be the man to do it. Um, When we started, we were going to just have some instruments in red and some instruments in white. But as you can see from from what it is, you can't because the reel-to-reel was going to be a focus point of the whole thing. And there's no way of making it half red, half white. We stood there kind of dumbfounded as Dan was putting in the red instruments and we're like, okay, this isn't working. So I was like, no, no, no. We're going to paint it. Just paint it all. So now we have to figure out how do we paint it? This thing is up. How do we paint it? It's pretty fragile, and that's why you saw it falling down. We we paint everything that's going to be the bars. We and the way that we do this is we project onto the statue that's standing up, paint the areas that are blocked out, and then turn the lights back on and we shoot. And you know. Once again, just like the TI package, a lot of people saw it, but never saw the inside of the package to you know that there was dimension going around that you would see. They all thought, oh, you know, you did this instrument, you slapped a Photoshop red bar on it. No, it, it was far beyond that. The initial thought behind this that didn't happen was, we were going to have this installation for Jay-Z's opening party for the album. We were going to have it there. Unfortunately, this thing was in London, Jay-Z was in New York, and it just didn't, the time frame didn't work out. The one side note that is funny about the whole thing is, like I said, he is close friends with our president. I didn't send pictures back to anybody to show what I was doing. Finally when it was done and I had a high res and it was cleaned up, I sent it over to Jay-Z. At that time I was in New York, Jay-Z was in London. I'm, I'm at my desk and I get a call from the product manager, Yo, Jay-Z wants to talk to you. All I can think is, oh. Wait, what? How, what was, how did he say it? So now I'm thinking, oh man, he doesn't like this. Like, so I'm sitting there a little bit nervous, like, oh man, this is gonna go horribly wrong. So they're trying to patch me through. They're like, okay, he's at the bar in the hotel and they've given him the phone and he gets me on the phone. I'm like, oh, this is gonna go horribly wrong. This is it, you know? He gets on the phone. He's like, yo, you did your thing, man. And I'm like, you like it? Like, yo, yo, a lot of people come to me, and they say, yo, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. Nah, you did your thing, and you went way above it. Like, So that was it. That was the seal approval. Jay-Z was happy and satisfied. Company was happy and satisfied. Album put to rest. And the one beautiful thing, like, they took the campaign, and they ran the campaign with the Rock Nation stuff, which I thought that was quite flattering as well, so
1: yeah. I just got to point out, the jet shine on cover had no type on it. Yeah. The TI cover had no type on it for the paper trail. Yeah. And you got a Jay-Z package through with no pictures of Jay-Z yeah. in it.
0: Yeah. Nah, yeah. That's,
1: that it's. <laughs> 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 I, You're uh, a magician.
0: Nah, not nah, a magician. But like, OK, I, the, the team that I work with, they'll be the first to tell you that, well, you know, Greg's not the greatest logo maker. But images, I'm cool at getting the right images, you know? Like, and, and I think if I'm not strong at making logos, oh, I'm going to be real strong at getting you the right image, so. I'm
1: going to respectfully disagree with that. <laughs> I think you're
0: being modest. But, but anyway,
1: you mentioned your team and as you've talked about the projects that you've worked on, various photographers, various illustrators, artists in general, and how you sometimes push them to go beyond what they're known for, beyond what they're which you, you recognize potential in people, and I think that's a very important thing, and I think it has a lot to do with why you are successful as an art director as well as successful as a creative director. And now you have a... you. The art department at Atlantic Records is eight, eight.
0: ten people? Eight people? Eight Some? people, yeah. Two of okay. them administrative. I, I go administrative and design. And yeah.
1: What do you think is a key factor for being effective as, well, let me ask you, what is the difference between an art director and a creative director?
0: I mean, my knowledge of it, a creative director now has to handle a lot more administrative work, you know, like it, I'm now there thinking about, like, okay, what is the budget for this? How are we going to break down this budget? Like, there's a lot more administrative stuff, and, and, I, and I could be wrong, you know, but I think the role of the creative director is you're there to protect your department. You're there to Enable them to be creative and have that flexibility to spread their wings as well. You know, at the end of the day, like everything that everybody does, if something goes horribly wrong, it's going to fall on your shoulders, and and that's cool. You just have to have strong shoulders and carry that load. But I think you are there to support your team, and I think if you do support your team, your team supports you. And just, I think when creative people have creative freedom. That's when you get the best possible work, you know? So if if you can be there to kind of buffer anything that's stifling that creative freedom, then I think that's good. And I think that's what a creative director should be doing.
1: And by by nature of doing that, you're, nur- you're identifying talent to keep your department going, to, to make sure you have the, the proper people, the correct people, and you're nurturing and helping them develop as well. And, I, you know?
0: No, sure. I, I mean, and am I allowed to say their names, right? Cause they're, they're all say they're all here. So okay. <laughs> <laughs> my team consists of Alex Kirzner, David Harrigan, Marco Brisky, Nicholas Billardello. I gotta say his name right, cause I always say it wrong. <laughs> Vigilio Tash. I might be getting his name wrong now. You know, but like these are the creative forces behind like almost everything you see coming out of Atlantic Records, and you know, I think. Every designer has done crap. (laughs) You know, like because we are a commercial field and at the end of the day there is a client and every designer has done some crap in their life. But for those gems that you do get when you do get that freedom, like these guys excel at it. You know, like you give them the freedom, like they go hard. They're doing they're not just doing print ads anymore. They're doing videos, they're doing illustration, they're doing photography. They're, they're going back to the days of old when an art director could do everything. Now, I say photography, and I have a lot of photography friends out in the audience. And no, we are not taking your job because we know, like, Clay Patrick McBride out there, like, these are seasoned vets that can do amazing, iconic images without even blinking an eye. You know, but like, these art directors, like, when they shoot their stuff for themselves, like, these are like those smaller projects that they're just, they know exactly what they want. And You're talking about team. your team. I'm People talking about my team, team. Yeah. yeah. Did I cut short without? Yes, that's the team. Where was I going with this? About them, <laughs>
1: about them taking photographs and things. I just wanted to be clear on who you were talking about. Yes. So. No, no,
0: they, they, they've been doing just by everything. And I think because, you know, The creative field has opened up and has grown because of the digital aspect of things that everyone now, print to a degree, I don't want to say it's dying because print is there, but there's so much more than print right now, and the avenues that you show your work is so much more than print right now, and they're exploring all these avenues. And I think that's a very good thing for any designer.
1: So all of your roles have expanded just by nature of yes. how things are today.
0: It, it, yes. All of our roles have expanded. And I said I was just going to say yes and cut you off so you could just be you know, here <laughs> alone. But yes, uh, I think for every designer, all the roles have changed. I think for photographers, photographers are doing videos. Like it, the, the creative role no longer is a niche like this is what you do. I think it's broadened in for almost every creative person out there. You know, I think you'll find someone who is doing illustration who is now, because of the computer, doing far more than that. They may be animating that illustration. Like there's a lot of things happening and people are just tapping into this and really going full force with it.
1: Thank you so much thank for, thank you for sharing your me. work and, and thoughts with us. And um, I'm sure there's a lot of questions for you, so
0: <laughs> if anybody has a question, just raise your hand.
1: So in the Wiz Khalifa video, you had like a pu- puppet, and then there was like a clay like a figure. So um, was there a reason you decided to use two different mediums to make the? Um
0: there was a reason because I think if I just used the puppet and to go straight through, I think it might have gotten boring and you would get tired of looking at it. And if I just used the claymation, same thing. I think interplacing the two and it gave a different dimension. Like it, it was. Realistically, two different worlds of whiz, so to speak. But I, I truly feel if I did it with just one medium, it would have gotten boring really, really fast.
1: Uh, this one speaks to you were talking about expanding creatively. I'm sure a lot of people are uh, in the creative industry. Um, like recently, like companies have been, you know trying to get the most out of their company, and creative is usually the first one to go into the grinder. Like, What kind of advice do you have for those uh, creatives out there, trying to stay inspired and stay creative when they're they're maxed out sometimes?
0: I think, okay, if you're saying that the company that you're with is getting downsized and the creative team is getting thrown out, and then you're just all going to have to be freelance, you're gonna to have to be freelance. But I think what you have to do is, you can't let that discourage you. Like the creative aspect, don't let it be discouraging because you don't have the day-to-day check, the week-to-week check. I think as a creative person, what you do is, if there's a lull, you find those personal projects. We talk about this all the time. And I know this may not be, you may be asking how do you make a revenue to stay afloat pay, rent. Right? But I think... I was, more, I was more so speaking about like, uh- being, being in a, like you said, it's a
1: commercial industry. Like creative is, is, is usually the, the face of, of an industry, whether that industry is creative or, or not. How do you stay inspired uh,
0: working in such a commercial uh, environment? That, that's kind of, that's really easy to a certain degree. You stay inspired because there's so many creative people that will keep pushing you forward. I think for every designer that's out there, we all, even though we have a client, I think we all design. For other designers, you know? And if that's if that's the case with you and the people that you're like, I think you're always gonna be designing for other designers and you want that admiration of your peers to go like, oh yo, that's kind of dope what they just did. And I think that's the inspiration that keeps driving you and pushing you forward. Like most of the stuff that like keeps me going, like I see some things that I'm like, yo, I wish I did that. You know, like I really, really thought, wow, that's amazing. And that kind of if you start to get this low and you start to see this stuff. That's that foot in your ass, so to speak, that gets you going again. Like, you want to be in that, that little group of designers that you respect. Like, my mentor, I think, is one of the greatest designers. Most of the stuff that, like I said, in, in the beginning of this, I said, like, some of us, we do a lot of crap at times. But the stuff that you do that you think is really, really great, like, this, I'm doing that because I want my mentor to see it and be like, oh, yeah, you know, that's real nice. And the TI package, I showed my mentor, and he's like, I think you should stop doing TI now. I think that's, that's it, man. <laughs> so, yeah, like, use, use other designers to inspire you, because they are out there. You speak a lot um, about projects where you were interested in the artists. Um, can you talk about a
1: project that you, your team, did where the music wasn't as interesting, but you still made good design?
0: Yeah, And do I have, to, I have to say the person's name? Because, you know, like, we could get five for this. <laughs> like, so I'm throwing out the artists that we don't like. I mean, no, we... Uh, <laughs> but it, it does happen. It does happen. It happens quite a lot. And no one in my department designs just the music they listen to. Like, you know, I try to assign each project to people's strengths. And sometimes it's like, who has a downtime? But no one... And, and I... I don't want to throw out somebody's name like, yo, we didn't like this artist and it was horrible, but it does happen. And the way you get through it, you think of it in terms of like, and every designer, you're a designer. And every project is a puzzle and you're supposed to solve that puzzle. And you are a designer, so you, even though you may hate the music, you still go full force to do it. I think one of the conversations Julian and I, used to have, like, he did the very first uh, 50 album, Get Rich or Die Trying. Now Julian has a son. And that was something like, you know, is this the kind of imagery that you want to portray? Like a guy putting a gun straight out there. This is not how you want your son to see. But Julian respected 50, but knew the image was not what he wanted his son to think of anyone. But... It was what represented 50 at the time. And it was a very successful campaign. And Julian did it. And, I, you know, it's, it's to your thing. It's not that he didn't like 50, but it was an image that you didn't want to be... You, you may not want it to be associated with you, but you know it is the right image for that artist. And you go forward that way. I, I hope that kind of answered. I, my, I, I, I drift a lot.
1: <laughs> I, I'm going to jump in on that. I think... as as Greg said, I think everything is like a puzzle that you need to figure out how to solve but I think sometimes the things that you don't like can be more fulfilling if you apply yourself because it's a bigger challenge you know like the way that that people interact, I'm not really talking about that, I'm talking about just from a purely problem solving standpoint you really kind of have to get into the things that you don't understand or you don't like a little bit more than the things that are easily accessible and
0: close to you so I think it makes an interesting challenge. And the other thing is, if you don't like it, you're more inclined to investigate what it's about to get a true feel. Like when you do like it, you have your preconceived notion as to what it should be. When you don't like it and you don't know anything about it, you're going to go and do the homework to find out, oh, what is the right image for them? So I hope, hope that. <laughs> we have a question over here.
1: Um, who are some of the original designers that you like from back in the days, the OGs?
0: Wait, I'm, I'm sorry? I'm, I'm sorry. Some again. of the designs you like. Some of the designs are, Yeah, from back in the day. I'm good. Yeah, I, one of my favorite things is like the EPMD, and, I, and I'm not going to go all the way to just like rap hand, but EPMDs cover strictly business, I think is one of the things that I was like, wow, that's beautiful. Um, I, my, the person that I say is my mentor is a guy named David Corley. David Corley did like, uh, that RZA Bobby Digital album package, which that's, you know, it's just... And back in the days of, like, P.M. Dawn, like, that was David bringing them... You may not have loved the music, but the imagery was amazing, you know? Um, it, I think the list can go on and on and on, and there's a, the other thing is, like, not even just designers, there's photography. Because, like, when I look at photography, I'm thinking photography just as design. Like, there's a lot to be said about a beautiful, striking image. I think on a daily basis in my department, we get told for our creative people, oh, we want something iconic. Let's get an iconic image like that Ray Charles image. Now, people don't seem to realize that Ray Charles image was done where a photographer followed Ray Charles around and they were friends and they were buddy-buddy holding hands all the time. But now we're saying, we're sending people out there to capture these images. If you can get that right beautiful image, you get that right, you put the right photographer with the right artist and so on, I think that's even one other thing that as a designer, you're looking to do that as well. Like, it's, it's the whole thing, logo, type, illustration. Like, it's all that one thing. But EPMD, yeah, I love that album package. <laughs> um, you know how you
1: said you were inspired, or um, old reggae covers was what inspired you to, to not do stuff like that? I'm curious, do you have a different evaluation of those things now?
0: Um, I do, because I think as the time went on, some of the reggae packages did really get, some stayed horrible, and some did really get to be amazing packaging, and... You know, like, some stuff is bad, but yeah. there's, a, no, there's, there's a, a, there's a
1: quality to it. It's an
0: aesthetic, it. like, I, yeah. and I know, there's a target audience why it's bad, and it's so bad to say that, but like, I, I know that there's an aesthetic that they feel like this will sell the music, and this is why we go out in this route. I'm not answering the question. I'm just saying. No, no, no. Come but I'm just wondering
1: on. if you've sort of some stuff is very bad, but some stuff is an aesthetic that's sort of like, oh,
0: that's kind of good in a bad way or bad in a good way. You know? No, no, no. Some yeah. stuff. Some stuff now is amazing. Like, ah, um, oh, jeez, I cannot remember the, the compilations. But I know Gary St. Clair is out here, and he knows the compilations I'm talking about. If you, yo, what's what's the compilations? The dub stuff. Like back in the days, Iroy. But who is doing? Ah. Uh, the designer. He has the yellow book called Display Copy Only. Okay, we're we're gonna space on the name, but there there's like the the Iroy compilations back in the days, and I think it's on W. Uh, uh, okay, we're not gonna get the, the names, <laughs> but there is a yellow design book called Display Copy Only. And it has quite a lot of the reggae packages, like compilation stuff, where you see, like, yeah, someone was really going full force on reggae and making beautiful packaging. And I, I feel bad that I've forgotten what the designer's name is, but it's really, really beautiful imagery. And the, the thing about, like, the reggae packages, my beginning career, like, one of the things that I was, get, I got to do was a thing for Bujubantang and it was for a song called Politics Time, and I was the happiest kid on the block. Cause I was like, yo, I'm gonna go and I'm showing my parents that I'm doing this. It was one song that was being put out for the elections during the time in Jamaica. We never got the cover done in time. We never got the song out in time. I never got to show my parents. but. but I'm still kind of proud that, at some glimpse of it, I got to work on a Bujubanta single. Hello. <laughs> Quick question. Hello. Um, as a creative, do you get a chance to ever do non-Atlantic record art? Any of you on the team? And if so, where, why, and how? As an Atlantic creative, I, I have a four-year contract. <laughs> As, yeah, I'm I'm a I'm the VP Creative Director. I've got a four-year contract that says that I'm not supposed to do work for anyone. I'm exclusive, and you know, there's, there's a few there's some gray areas here and there. And, and I'm not going to start throwing out things so people can be like, hey, let's go research what he's done so we can cut that four-year contract down to no years. But um, <laughs> I, I know the team, they do do outside work. And they do some exceptional outside work. And the beauty of the, the team, what they do, is like we, we truly do work as a team. And when they're doing stuff, like we feed off of one another. And we help each other out. If one person is weak at something, they'll ask somebody else to help them out. But no, no, no. We never do outside work. (laughs) (laughs) We've got a question over here, and just two more questions now. I mean, my question is like a little more personal. I just want to know if
1: anything like, uh, like, inspires like your hairstyle. You know, it's kind of funky. You know, like I know, like I'm not the only person wondering about it. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. It's really cool
0: though. It's a long thing and a short thing. The long thing, like I've already said, I'm Jamaican. I'm clearly really proud of being Jamaican. I have a very close family, mother, father, sister, brother. Like, we're all really, really, really tight. My grandmother. My hair, not about religion or anything like that. My hair is about the connection to my grandmom. My grandmom passed. My hair is that extension of me being Jamaican and my grandma. It holds true, dear to me, that whole... This is Jamaica, this is who we are, and my hair is just about that. As far as the style and anything, this is just me getting up in the morning and wrapping it up in time with a little string. Like, whatever it does on its own, it does on its own. Like, it's, not, it's not a style, it's not a consciousness, it's like, yeah, I'll tie it up. Now I'm sure people in the house will be like, no, you take a lot of time in the mirror. Take a lot of time in the mirror to make sure it stays in place, because when I walk out of the house, it will fall out of place. <laughs> so that's, that's the hairstyle.
1: Hey, I heard they're going to stop making CDs. Um, I, I hope it's a rumor, but that's what I heard at a meeting at Sony. So I just was wondering if that's true for Atlantic and how that would change what you guys do on a daily basis and what that content would look like. I also know that there's like a resurgence in vinyl, and I was wondering how much you release in vinyl like per artist or, or if you could speak to that a little bit. But like, is there talk about CDs no longer
0: existing? You know, there's, there's always talk about CDs no longer ex- existing. And, you know, like, I know within our CEOs and everything, there's always going to be those conversations like, well, no one... I've sat in meetings, and I think that the physical sales are still surpassing the digital sales. But it's, it's rising fast. Like, digital soon, yes, it will surpass physical. Now, how will it affect us if the CD is gone? This is the good thing that we're all branching out to doing other things, but you're always going to need the visual identity for every artist. So the same things that we're doing for a physical package is still going to be needed for anything digital. Like Everything that we do, we pass on those elements to the web department, the digital department. So those, those elements that you're seeing is still going to be coming from us. So the aspect isn't going to change in what we do. We're always going to have to keep doing photo shoots, design, logos, design. We're just always going to have to do that. As far as 12 inches, yes, we do do 12 inches because there is a resurgence of 12 inches. It's based on specific artists and their fan base's need. Like, there are artists where, yeah, they're just never going to buy a piece of vinyl. And there are people who are now just buying vinyl to collect the vinyl. They don't have turntables or anything, but they just like to have that keepsake. So that isn't enough to say that what we're doing is going to remain what we're doing, but the fact that we know that digitally you're always going to need that branding identity, we're always going to, we're always going to be there. We just, we'll just be there in a different capacity of like how we think, but we've already all started training for the digital takeover. Did I answer you, Clay Patrick McBride? No, I think what the thing is going to be is all of a sudden everything like right now everything is a pretty static image. I think what the thing is going to be, this image will move. We, I think, you know, like if you look at like Saturday Night Live's titles when they show for a commercial break an artist, they do the photo shoot and the artist is static, and then all of a sudden a, a small drift and the artist moves. Now imagine that going tenfold into a package on the web. Like I think it's not just going to be about videos, and I think right now even videos are being more interactive like you're, you're having videos where fans are typing in and all of a sudden what they type in pops up in the video it's going to become a big interactive thing there's going to be more movement, more parts to it and I think that's where it's going
1: well with that again please let's have some applause for Greg Burt <laughs> <laughs>
0: thank you